This programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Welcome to the second programme of our series, The Latin American Connection. My name is Mary McNamara and on today's programme we will be looking at the experience of food producers Emanuela Russo and Fergal Anderson who moved to County Galway, Ireland in September 2012 to start a small vegetable farm. They will introduce us to the concept of food sovereignty and how international movements such as Via Campesina question and challenge current food export and cooperative approaches. Our guests in the studio today will be Karen Jeffers, Peace Brigades International, Hilary Daly from Trocra, and Maeve Bateman from Debt and Development Coalition to talk about how important it is to act locally for global change. But first we are travelling to Galway, where we will meet Emanuela, originally from Milan, and Fergal from Galway. Emanuela studied journalism and communication and Fergal public advocacy and activism respectively and neither of them imagined they would become farmers when they graduated from college. Well, I was living in Barcelona at the time and I was, I suppose, becoming more exposed to more Spanish language culture and um, I would have been beginning to look at what was happening in Latin America and becoming more interested in in sort of generally in politics and maybe more in international development, I would say. So as well, my part interested in international development was interested in going to visit um, some of the countries where we perceived there to be kind of injustice or, or, or difficulty or conflict and, and seeing how we could help. Now, in, 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 that's, it, it, it's, we were very naive, I suppose, at the time because we also thought, oh, we can go and help these people. We can kind of go and see what we can do to contribute. Or, And I think that's something that um, we weren't doing it from a kind of superiority, a sense of superiority, but certainly from a sense that we could contribute something positive and in the end maybe ended up learning more uh, ourselves than we did, um, uh, than, than we could help people uh, over, over there, if that makes sense. So um, we began working with an organization in in. Barcelona, which prepared people to work as volunteers in organizations in Guatemala. It was a mix de Guatemala, I think it was called, or something, like Friends of Guatemala, based in Barcelona. And they had partnerships with different organizations in Guatemala. And so we were partnered with an organization called Seiba. We didn't know a huge amount about it, but we knew that the directors of the organization had been subject to death threats and that their offices had been attacked once or twice in the, uh, in the, in the city where they were based. So we were aware that there were certain tensions uh, in terms of the suppression of, the, of that movement. They were happy that we were there in terms of having um, maybe having people around um, as, as as observers. I think that's, that was certainly useful at the time. Um, and what they what they organised uh, for us was a kind of was an opportunity to, to work. On, in, on the ground with the, uh, with the the kind of coordinators, the people that were doing the workshops and things like that with, uh, with people in the field. So what Sabre did, a lot of the work entailed um, sort of very practical training um, workshops with communities in the villages uh, in, the, in the Guatemalan highlands. 
So they would include workshops on agroecology, on um, on sort of agricultural production. They were also working on providing um, wells and water supplies, and also on political education. And we spent then about two months in the back of pickup trucks, traveling from place to place. Um, we were staying in the same places that the, the locals uh, were staying, so the accommodation was very basic. Um, and we were attending the workshops that, the, that the, the organization was giving with the locals, which was, for us, very educational as well. I think in many respects, being exposed to the kind of ideas that they were talking about, that was where we, we heard people talking about agroecology in, in their villages in Guatemala. We heard people talking about food sovereignty in, in villages in Guatemala, but trying to... Those things were uh, very practical things, but they were also things which um, were, were very much applicable to our own realities back at, at home. So it was an eye-opener in that sense, um, because when we began to think about what was happening in Europe or in Ireland, or my partner was from Italy, we began to think, well, we have those, some, a lot of the same issues in terms of access to healthy food or access to... And then to think about the political uh, framework, because as the weeks went on and we visited place to place, uh, it just became increasingly clear that the problems um, that we were looking at, A, of course, weren't caused by uh, necessarily by the local government, but were caused by a lot of them by global policies and regional policies and trade agreements. The secondly, that people were very, very well prepared, very well informed on the ground about what the issues were and what the problems were, and were doing a lot to help themselves out of that situation. And that really the issue lay in the kind of complicit nature of our own European governments in uh, in kind of exploiting and, and allowing corporations and other private entities to uh, actively and aggressively exploit and exploit the resources of, of other other countries, poorer countries. What, what I'm doing now is I run a small farm with my partner, Emanuela, who we've been farming in Ireland for the last five five years. So we started a farm here in uh, Galway in the west of Ireland where we produce uh, vegetables, uh, some fruits uh, for the local market. So the way we established, the way we set up the, the farm was that we established a community-supported agriculture project, which where we ask people to commit to the farm for a full season. Members get a share of the harvest and we as the farmers get a kind of guarantee that we will have an income. So it's it's very important and it's not always easy if you're if you're producing some kind of small scale, quite intensive uh, amount of production to ensure that you 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 sell all the all the uh, everything that you produce. But with the community supported agriculture system a lot of what you're producing has already been already been sold, essentially. So, for you, it's a, there's great security in it for the for the farmer, and I suppose there's a great security in it as well for the for the members because they uh, they have a chance to participate in the activities on the farm, and they have a chance to be part of uh, a broader group of people who share a set of common values, and they have access to uh, fresh, locally produced food. Fergal and Emanuela's experiences in Latin America have very much shaped their current life and experience in Ireland. Some concepts learned in Latin America are now part of their approach to farming. 
principles such as food sovereignty, one of the key campaign issues of Via Campesina, an organisation that Fergal has represented in the past. Yeah, I mean, food sovereignty was something that they were talking about in terms of not just their own kind of right to produce uh, healthy and culturally appropriate food, what, uh, but also in terms of the kind of global trade uh, fr framework. I mean, Guatemala is famous because it was the Banana Republic. W what they were talking about there was trying to reclaim the, the kind of local sovereignty or control over seed resources, over uh, food resources, over land, over water. All of which are things which were under threat um, from mining companies, from uh, monoculture plantations. So for us, I mean, when we heard, first heard about the, the ideas of food sovereignty, it was very much in the, at the at the front face of these communities who were seeing shops opening up their doorstep uh, and trying to, to dis discourage or actually actively pirate the kind of uh, local native seeds that they were using to sustain themselves. So and really what agroecology is about is not just a, it's not just a production system, it's not just a way of looking at how you produce food, it's also a way of looking at how your production is integrated into the ecosystem around you. So that's not just a not just the ecosystem in terms of the 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 natural world, but also the the social ecosystem. So that I mean uh, one of, one of the main things I thought surprised us uh, at first, but then I suppose made a lot of sense was a lot of those workshops, and I specifically remember the one on agroecology and food production, was attended exclusively by, by women. The women were the main and almost unprimary producers of food in, in those communities. Yeah, I mean, coming back to Ireland, <clears throat> food sovereignty isn't something that I think we see on the agenda in Ireland. It certainly wasn't on the agenda when we moved back. We've been trying to promote it actively here. And the interesting thing about food sovereignty is that it's really different depending on the context of the of the place. Every Every place is going to have its own interpretation of that and one of the things that we did in Ireland was to produce this food sovereignty proclamation which tried to put an Irish framework on, on what food sovereignty means and what it means to, to people in Ireland so if the food sovereignty process is an, is an ongoing one and, and no more than the, agro, the discussion in agroecology I think we're only at the beginnings of, the, of those discussions in Ireland and there's still plenty of space for us to, to move forward which I learned from my experience in Latin America was that um, actually the political discussions and the, the kind of more progressive ideas, they were, they were far, far ahead of what I heard talked about in, in Europe at the time. And I think maybe now we've caught up a little bit, but at the time, I think the progressive politics, the progressive ideas, the progressive movements were very much in Latin America. And those came in a way out of the kind of, the same things that we're seeing applied in Europe, the structural adjustment policies that were applied in Latin America during the debt crisis in the 70s and the 80s uh, and even into the 90s would have been are now have now been applied in, in, in Europe. So they were through the austerity programs of the IMF and, and the European Central Bank. So I think maybe now the place of progressive politics is, is shifting and maybe this is space for us now, which wasn't really as available now uh, as it was before. Um, We are now back in the studio. 
Near FM's Sally Galliano talks to Karen Jeffers, Peace Brigades International, Hilary Daly from Trocra and Maeve Bateman from Debt and Development Coalition about campaigning on global issues and the general public understanding of these campaigns' benefits. OK, um, my name is Hilary Daly and I work for Trocra. Um, so I've been working for Trocra for about seven years now. Um, and prior to starting work with Trocra, I spent some time working and teaching in Latin America. Um, and I suppose when I was out in Latin America initially, I was teaching English. Um, but seeing some of the, the situation there and some of the inequalities um, and the human rights abuses, when I returned to Ireland, um, I went back to university and did a postgrad in development studies. Um, so my role in Trocra, well, I work in our international division. And I kind of work trying to connect what's happening overseas and the work that we're doing overseas with our what we call our Irish facing work, which is the work that we do um, on development education and on raising awareness of um, the situation, not just in Latin America, but in other um, in other regions in Africa and Asia and the Middle East as well. Hi, my name is Karen Jeffers. I'm from just outside of Bray in County Wicklow. And I've spent about five or six years in Latin America in total. I studied peace studies at university. I did a master's in peace studies, but I already had a bit of an interest in development issues and in human rights specifically. But when I did the peace studies masters, I became particularly interested in international protective accompaniment, which is a form of solidarity combined with political activism, combined with nonviolence, combined with lots of things that really appeal to me on a personal level, on a personal beliefs level, I think. And um, I identified an organisation that I wanted to go and volunteer with and work with over in Latin America. Um, and yes, I needed to learn Spanish. So I also went and learned Spanish to do that. So I spent a few years living in Latin America, volunteering on different projects. Um, different things, I suppose, that, that came up throughout my travels. And then I went back for a longer period of time to volunteer with Peace Brigades International, which is the organisation who does protective accompaniment that I had heard about. So now that I'm back in Ireland, I'm back in Ireland nearly, I'm back in Ireland over two years. And I founded the country group of Peace Brigades International, so basically a local group of activists, of, of organisers who are um, raising awareness about the issues that we work on in the field projects and then encouraging Irish people or people on, on this island to to take part and support our work overseas. Mm -hmm. okay, my name is Maeve Bateman and I'm the Director of Debt and Development Coalition Ireland. DDCI is a global financial justice organisation so we do a lot of work around um, policy and research around financial justice issues. We run a lot of campaigns targeting the government and we also do quite a lot of development education and outreach work but our main goal is trying to achieve a financial system that means that there is equality for all um, and in doing so we work both with people in Ireland and in solidarity with networks throughout the world. Um, prior to working with DDCI for the last few years I focused on the Middle East. I was working with partners on an economic and social rights programme including labour rights and 
tax justice and a lot of it also included supporting farmers who were finding it a struggle to make a profit in part because of the financial system and so while I've mostly focused on international development issues I really enjoy the fact that the work with DDCI is an opportunity to really face up to the fact that the international economic system as it currently stands is one of a big driver behind poverty globally and at the moment I think and for recent years as people will be aware it's really impacting people in Ireland as well as people internationally so when DDCI first started out and we were looking at the Jubilee debt cancellation movement it was much more a sense of people trying to come together to support people in um, developing world countries and recently it's been much more of a sense of solidarity and people are engaging a lot more so that's something I really enjoy about my work. How do you feel the Irish public in general uh, receives the idea of development issues in other countries? Do you think they are very receptive? Yeah, I, well, I suppose I speak maybe just from Trocro's point of view. I mean, we've always had excellent support from, from Irish people, like even back to when Trocro was founded in the 70s. And at that time, um, it was founded really as a response to what was happening in Central America and the various armed conflicts and the accompanying human rights violations. And even going back to that time, you know, Irish people not just obviously were very financially generous to Trocra, but also um, really got behind our campaigns and still do, you know. So um, we've, you know, groups of campaigners, groups of Irish people throughout the country who, um, you know, take development issues and, and really make them their own, I suppose. Um, and I think, you know, in more recent years, what we've really seen is that these issues that we see as maybe development or overseas issues are actually issues that here in Ireland we're really facing too. So if you look at things like climate change or climate justice, um, the impact of austerity and, and I suppose how austerity happened was because of the global financial system, I suppose. And we've really seen in Ireland, I think, the impact that that has had on people. And I think people are... Um, people kind of make the connections themselves so you know they when they see the various policies that are that are being imposed by um right wing governments here in Europe and the impact that that has and then we can also see the impact of that in in um overseas countries so I think actually it's definitely an area where individual people are probably a bit ahead of the media in terms of making the connections. I think a lot of the, the news stories, it's easier to tell a simple story of like this happened and this is the reasons and this is the debate and this is what the politicians are saying. Individuals are definitely responding. We, we've long talked about the role of the IMF and the World Bank and I think for a really long time there were these external forces and you know they were doing things that were relevant to Africa and most ordinary people didn't really connect didn't really understand their role and now with what's happened in Ireland in recent years people are incredibly more well informed they're really exercised and engaged about it and they're much more interested to hear well so how has this actually affected other countries how has this rolled out you know what is happening in Argentina with the vulture funds? What's the possible implications of that? And I think people recognise the sense of powerlessness. I think sometimes before when you tell that story of how for people living in poverty, it's outside of their control. It can be hard for people not 
to realise that that's an individual story that can be helped by reaching individuals. But what's happened in Ireland um, and the impact of austerity policies, it makes it a lot easier to make the connection with systemic um, issues and systemic issues that are sometimes even outside of the control of national governments. Yeah, I think that translates on a bigger level as well, just on on people's understanding of the rest of the world, you know. I think um, one thing I always found difficult when you go and you do volunteer overseas and you, you come back, come back so it's difficult, but when you come back, people find it very difficult to talk to you about that. You know, they, they, they care about you and they love you and they ask you, you know, that's, that's great that you did that, aren't you brilliant? <laughs> but they don't really engage on... In, in in understanding or in, in even the details of what you were doing there or understanding what it is that um, is happening in those countries. And I think, yeah, the, the, the impact of the crisis or the crash here has really enabled people to, to understand in a better way, you know, to connect with those stories. So it's, it's sort of, um, yeah, I think it's it's been an educational tool for us as well and a reality check, I suppose. There is a lot to learn from Latin America. What do you think is the main thing that Europeans and probably Irish people could learn about Latin America or developing countries? Let's say, for example, from the point of view of social activism. Yeah, I suppose I think Latin America has just such a strong history of like social movements, but also like the collectivization of struggle. And I think that's something which maybe we did have it historically in Ireland, but I'm not sure that we have it so much anymore. Like that idea that the struggle, your struggle is part of a wider struggle and that the only way that you're going to address inequality or address human rights violations is by collectivising and becoming organised. Um, and I think that, yeah, I don't want to repeat myself, but that is something I've always found very inspiring. Um, and I think something that we could really, really learn from, um, learning from those social movements and, and bringing that back to Ireland. I'd say, I, th I think... Um that notion of grassroots movements, it's really powerful and I'm not sure it's something even organisations like ours have really been able yeah. to tap into in the same way. I think a lot of the time people in Ireland are used to, if it's a campaigning issue, then maybe you know a charity will prepare an email or an action that can be signed or something like that or they can write to their TD. But the sort of really long, um, long-running entirely understanding like shared sense of struggle that you're talking about Hillary it's it's not something that we necessarily manage in the same way and it's definitely a lesson for people like us who who work in this area here well I mean the Ballyhay not our debt movement is one example down in Cork of a, a small community that sort of spontaneously decided to protest about the debt issue and just maintained that for a really long time and there was no outside organising force and there was you know n no one really driving that and I think maybe it just shows that we we have it in some areas it's organic but it's just maybe not organised in, in ways that we recognise and like you say maybe the media isn't reporting on it in the same way it doesn't fit that narrative How do you think it's possible to show the public opinion that the work that you are doing in developing countries is also bringing positive gains to Ireland? Yeah, I think just Karen mentioned the TTIP but um, we've just had two other trade agreements um, the Colombia Free Trade Agreement between the EU and Colombia and then uh, the association agreement between Central America and the EU 
Um, and, uh, you know, both of these agreements are kind of presented as they are of benefit to Europeans, the European farmers or other people working in European industries. But actually, if you look at the detail of the agreement, they will benefit the big farmers in Europe and in Colombia or in Central America. But the actual Im- benefits to the kind of smaller farmers are, are not clear, you know, so... We did oppose the, the ratification of those agreements, but we also tried to influence the actual, you know, the text of the agreement um, so that it would benefit the smaller farmers in Central America and the EU. And unfortunately, our influence didn't have a positive outcome, but it was something that we did we did try to, to work on. Um, so I think that, yeah, that's an example maybe of where something that is often presented as kind of positive, like a free trade agreement between the EU and Central America can actually have quite negative consequences both for Central Americans and for um, for Irish farmers. Another point I'd like to mention is human rights defenders in Latin America obviously under extreme pressure and there's killings and threats and harassment. But I think what we see in Ireland and in Europe is is also kind of a closing of civil society space and I think that's another struggle that's really a global one so people aren't as free to speak out people aren't as free to organise any longer or as much as they were in the past um, and that, that space for kind of civil society and for, for movements to grow in Ireland and in Europe I think is shrinking quite a lot too yeah. and it's very reminiscent of things that we see in, in Latin America as well you know in Guatemala in particular there's a lot of and Colombia actually recent legislation that's come out that is designed to to reduce people's ability to go out and mobilise on the streets because it's you know it is a real threat to them it's it's a real challenging of the, the status quo and you know, I, I think drawing the the link between that as well. You know, when we when we hear about you know the protests in in Spain or or in Greece actually as well at one point, you know, when we we see the, these protests being being pushed down, you know, that that really like we need to um we need to draw attention to that. Something that just occurred to me as well, and I'm like uh, maybe it's a very simplistic thing as well, but when people see, I mean, it's very visible at the moment what's happening in the world, you know, in terms of conflict spilling over into into Europe, into our, our fortress Europe, our safe space. I think it's much more apparent to people now that these traditional ways that we've dealt with conflict overseas and, and issues overseas um, with war and with, with all of these things is not necessarily having a very positive effect and not having the, you know, the results, the resulting security that we, we would hope. Um, I mean, I think when we talk about financial justice, we're basically talking about a system that promotes greater equality for all and is fair and transparent for all. And at the moment, at country and individual level, that's very much not the case. Um, do you have one example of something we've been campaigning for? So at the moment, the, the BEPS process, um, which is something that's been going through the OECD relating to tax, um, essentially there's an exchange of information between OECD countries about corporations and their declarations that is not applied in the same way to developing countries. So what you have is countries in the developing world who have big multinational corporations based there and they are completely unable to understand whether or not they are paying an appropriate amount of tax because those companies are engaging in what's called transfer pricing. They're selling their own um, goods and services to other branches in other jurisdictions with a lower rate of corporate tax. And so 
what we have is a situation where it's a lot easier for countries within a wealthy club to to try and find out whether or not that's happening in a negative way or in a way that contravenes the rules, whereas there are a lot of countries without that structure who are losing out on all the benefits. And that was all for today's programme. We want to thank our guests in the studio, Karen Jeffers, Peace Brigade International, Hilary Daly from Trocra and Maeve Bateman from Debt and Development Coalition and to Manuela and Fergal. If you want more information on the issues covered by this programme, visit our website at near.ie where you will find links and contact details of all our guests. This programme was co-produced with the Latin American Solidarity Centre. For more information, visit lask.ie. This programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.